This morning's scripture reading is James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. This is on page 1013 uh, in the Bibles in the pews. James 4, beginning in verse 6. But if he gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. I believe it's also true that without humility, it's impossible to please God. I believe that's true. As a matter of fact, a prerequisite for putting our trust in God is that we humble ourselves, that we're poor in spirit. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. There are a lot of things on my mind and heart today, and I know there's a lot on yours. As you think about what's happening with the pandemic, as you think about what's happening with our country and the things that we've seen in the last week or so, something that's really occurred to me and I've thought a lot about, maybe it was because I intended to preach on this even before this week happened. There are not a whole lot of people around that are being very humble. When you stop and think about The attitudes that you see and hear when you stop and think about maybe the attitudes that we ourselves manifest, humility doesn't seem to be much of a priority. And yet the Bible teaches in James chapter 4 verse 6 that we just read that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And the Bible teaches in James 4.10 that we just read that if we will humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, he will lift us up. In every circumstance, in every conflict, there is an opportunity. I believe that's true. In every conflict and circumstance that's difficult, there's an opportunity. And oftentimes the opportunity that we want is to be heard and to be seen as being right. When there's a conflict, it's because there are two parties that both think they're right. Two groups that both think they're right. Two individuals that both think they're right. And they're justified in how they're acting and how they're behaving. And in every opportunity, in every conflict, there's an opportunity. And it's not so much about who ends up getting the last word. But rather the opportunity is that we can be humble and please God. Humility is a requirement for Christians. You know, Christians believe that there are some values and virtues that we have to hold on to no matter what else happens. Values and virtues that are essential. Values and virtues like love, love for your neighbor, love for God. Values and virtues like justice and being concerned about what's right. Values and virtues like humility. You can't give that up just because things don't go the way that we desire, whether it's in our personal lives, whether it's in our nation, Humble yourselves. In James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10, that is the essence of the passage. And when you stop and look at the context, if you haven't already got your Bibles open to James, 
Please do that. James chapter 4. And I want you to notice that the context of these verses has to do with conflict. In James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, James mentions, writing to the church, that there are wars and fights that are happening among the people of God. They're fussing and fighting with each other. And if you look at verses 11 and 12, you'll see that there are people who are speaking evil of their brethren. They're judging their brethren. And James says, you can't do that. You're speaking evil of the law and judging the law when you do that. And there's really only one lawgiver and judge, and you're not him. And so sandwiched in between the wars and fights that Christians are having in verses 1 through 4 and Christians speaking evil of one another in verses 11 and 12 of James chapter 4 is this section that deals with humbling ourselves. What if conflict is not so much about who's right? What if conflict is about how can I become more like my Savior? When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. You remember Matthew 26, verse 39? A lot of times our prayer is my will be done. Our desire is my will be done. But humility says, not my will, but yours be done. In every conflict, what if that were our prayer? Not my will, but yours be done. Humble yourselves. Humility is a strange quality because in the minute we think we've got it, we've lost it. The second you say, I sure am glad that I'm so humble, you've just lost humility. Humility is not so much self-abasement. It's not just beating yourself up and saying, no, I'm not all that good. Humility is accurately and honestly looking at ourselves, seeing our strengths and our weaknesses and acknowledging those. And more than that, humility, listen to me, is about self-forgetfulness. It's about forgetting what my will is and asking what's his. It's about forgetting what my will is and asking how can I please God and how can I build up people in this circumstance? That's what humility looks like. There was a wise older Christian reason I've got this guy with the ladder on the screen. Wise older Christian who had spent many years trying to follow and serve Jesus. And you know what he said? I have come to find that the blessings of Christianity, the blessings that are found in Christ, they are not found by climbing higher on some ladder. The real blessings of Christianity, what Jesus has to offer to people, those things are not found by climbing and achieving and doing more. The blessings of being a Christian are found by climbing down the ladder, by getting as low as you possibly can. And when you find yourself humbly serving God and others, that's where you find the true benefits and blessings of following Jesus Christ. Wouldn't the world be a better place if people had the attitude, how can I help, how can I serve? an attitude of self-forgetfulness. Humble yourselves. As you look at James chapter four, verses six through 10, I want us to just take verse 10 this morning and I want to divide it into three parts. And I want us to notice, first of all, the command, humble yourselves. Then secondly, the position in the sight of the Lord. And then third, the blessing or the promise. He will lift you up. That's the outline for our study this morning. And we're gonna use James chapter four, verses six through 10 
as our template to kind of see what does humility look like and why is it so important for people who would follow Jesus? Notice this in the first place, the command, humble yourselves. I'd like for us, as we just think about that quality of humility, I'd like to make this as practical as I possibly can. So with that in mind, let's do a contrast between humility and pride. When we think about our lives, when we think about the way we treat others, our attitudes toward other people, think about these things, pride versus humility. Number one, humility listens to truth. Pride is full of stubborn denial. Stubborn denial. I don't care what you say. I don't care what the evidence is. I'm digging my heels in. I'm making my stand. And this is where I'm going to stay. Humility listens. In James chapter 1, as we've read the book of James together this past week, one of the things that you probably noticed in James chapter 1 verse 19 is that James says, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. If I'm going to be humble in God's sight, I better be quick to listen to truth, and I better be very careful when stubbornness is a part of my attitude. Secondly, you think about what humility looks like versus pride. Humility accepts responsibility instead of blaming others. It's very easy to point the finger and blame other people for what's going wrong, why there's conflict, why there's something that's not what it should be. The Bible says in James chapter one, verses 23 through 24, that the scripture, it's not a window that I look through so that I can see what's wrong with you. You know what it says about the scripture? It's not a window to a lens to see everybody else. Scripture is a mirror. And when I look into the word, when I look into the scripture, it's a mirror that reflects back at me. And the first thing, if I'm going to be humble, if I'm going to really be like Christ, if I'm going to honor God, I've got to look at the scriptures as a mirror to show me what I'm like. Accepting responsibility instead of constantly looking for what's wrong in other people. That's humility. Humility. Number three, learns from others instead of being a know-it-all. I already know, I've got the answers. There's nothing you can tell me that's gonna change my mind. That's a know-it-all. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8 verses one and two, knowledge in and of itself puffs up, but love builds up, love edifies. That's a verse that really ought to be thought about. How am I responding to the crises and the conflicts that are happening around me? Am I a know-it-all? Am I blaming others? Am I denying the truth? Or am I listening, accepting responsibility for my part, my role in some of these things? Am I learning? Humility versus pride. Number four, as you think about this, humility encourages others Pride is full of evil speaking. In James 4, 11 and 12, do not speak evil against one another, brethren. Do not judge one another. He who speaks against the law and judges, or speaks against his brother and judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. God's people are not to use our mouths to speak evil of others. We're just not. When we do those things, we are full of ourselves, we're full of evil, we're full of pride. 
Incidentally, did you know that pride is corrosive of everything it touches? When pride touches something, when it's part of my attitude, when it's the reason why I'm saying what I'm saying or doing what I'm doing, when I'm doing, when saying things out of pride, it destroys, it's corrosive. Pride destroys everything it touches. That's its nature. That's why Proverbs 16, 18 tells us, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. The Bible is full of these warnings. You can't be full of yourself and you can't treat people that way because it's damaging not only to your relationships with other people horizontally, it's damaging to your relationship with Almighty God. Evil speaking, symptom of pride. Humility, on the one hand, leans on God, whereas pride is full of self-reliance. I got this handled, God. I don't need help. I don't need wisdom. I don't need information. I know what needs to happen. That's pride. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Yeah, but that's just religious stuff. That's not political stuff. And that's not stuff that has to do with my relationships with other people that have nothing to do with scripture. No, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Proverbs three, verses five and six. God intends for his children, for his people to manifest humility, self-forgetfulness in every circumstance, in every situation of life. Humility versus pride, last one. Humility esteems self properly. Again, it's not humble to go around saying, I'm no good, I'm not really what you say I am. It's, it's not hu- humble to go around doing that. Humility is a proper estimation of self. But pride is being self-absorbed. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about making me look good. It's all about people recognizing and appreciating me. That's pride. Romans 12 verse three warns us as Christians, let no one think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That's an interesting passage to contemplate. Let no one think more highly than he ought to think. We ought to estimate ourselves the way God does. There's a lot when we look at the mirror of God's word and we see it reflecting back upon ourselves. There's a lot that needs to be fixed, a lot that needs to be repaired, needs to be changed to the glory of God. It's a proper estimation of self. So the command to Christians, when you look at James chapter four and verse 10, is humble yourselves. Where are these conflicts and wars coming from? It's coming from pride, it's coming from selfishness, from being self-absorbed, and then the remedy, the, the recommendation of scripture is, the command that God gives us is humble yourselves. Stop being so wrapped up in you and what you want and your will being done, and instead be consumed by God and by his will. Secondly, as you look at James chapter four, look very carefully. We're gonna look at the text itself now. James chapter four, verses six through 10. In the sight of the Lord, 
It's not just humbling myself, but it's humbling myself with a recognition that God is watching me and God is watching how I respond and God is watching what's going on in my life and I wanna humble myself in his sight because he's already given input into this situation. He's already given input into my circumstance. And there are some questions, as you look at James chapter four, verses six through 10, that every one of us, no matter what the conflict, ought to reflect upon. Look at James chapter four and verse seven. Question number one, as you look at this, submit to God therefore, here's the question. When I am in conflict, my question ought to be, what does God expect of me? Verse seven. I suspect there are a lot of people that have been involved in conflicts of many kinds and have never stopped once to ask that question, what does God expect of me? Because when we get in an argument, when we get mad at somebody, it's all about being right and it's all about being the last one to get their say in. It's all about getting my way. Submit to God. What does God want me to do in this circumstance? How does he want me to respond in this circumstance? What kinds of attitudes, what kinds of words, what kinds of actions are gonna be Christ-like and godly in this circumstance? That's a question well worth reflecting upon, but it doesn't even stop there. Look at the rest of the verse. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Here's a question, because the context has to do with conflict in the church. What might Satan desire in this situation? Resist the devil. Satan is involved in the affairs of the people of God. That's what the passage teaches. And I ought to reflect on the question, what does the devil want to accomplish here? What would make him happy? And how can I resist what would make him happy? And it all keeps circling back to humility. Verse six of James chapter four says, God gives grace to the humble. Verse 10 of James chapter four, humble yourselves. The devil works on people who are full of pride and he uses people who are full of pride to cause division, to cause heartache, to cause pain. Submit to God, resist the devil. Look at verse eight. What does God desire of me in the midst of conflict? James chapter four, verse eight goes on to say, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. What's all that have to do with? How have I contributed to this conflict? When people are fussing with each other, very, very rarely is it all one-sided. And one of the things that James is counseling Christians to do in the midst of conflict is to ask the question, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? You see that in verse eight? Are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? Am I pleasing to God in all of this? How have I contributed to what's happening? My attitudes, sometimes you may be right in what you say and it may be the way that you say it. Have I contributed to this? This misunderstanding, this conflict, this difficulty, what's my role in this? And he goes on to say that we ought to mourn over our sins. 
we ought to recognize the part that we have in causing this, and we ought to be genuinely sorrowful and humble in the light of all that. How does humility respond to conflict? Number four, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Here's the question, verse four, or number four, it's verse 10. Having said and done all that is needed, am I willing to put this situation in God's hands? That's what's coming from James chapter four, verse 10. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. When I've said what needs to be said, when I've done what needs to be done, am I now willing to leave this in God's hands? Because see, here's what happens in our arguments, in our fusses, in our conflicts. What happens is there is in every argument, in every disagreement, there is a line where the argument stops being about who's right and who's wrong and establishing the truth. And instead the argument crosses a line and now the argument is about who can cause the most damage and who can say the last word, who can have the last little piece of information, last thing that we yell at each other. Who gets to speak last? James 4 verse 10 counsels us, if we want to be Christ-like, we ought to say and and do all that's needed, and then we ought to leave everything in God's hands. And you want to know who the best example of that is? Jesus Christ. Put your finger there in James chapter 4 and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 for a moment. In 1 Peter chapter 2, I want you to look at verse 23. Did Jesus, when he went to the cross, had he said and done all that was needed? Had he established the truth? Had had he told his enemies who he was? And had he shown people what he was all about? He had. And so Jesus goes to the cross. They nail him to the cross, having beaten and scourged and spat upon him. And here's what Peter says, because Peter saw this with his own eyes. He saw how Jesus humbled himself in the sight of the Lord. In verse 23, Peter writes, First Peter chapter 2, in verse 23, he says, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. That sounds an awful lot like James 4.10, doesn't it? Having said and done all that was needed, Jesus was willing to put everything in God's hands. He committed himself to the one who judges righteously. There is a time and a place for us as followers of Jesus Christ to acknowledge it's time to be silent. What's needed to be be said has been said. What's needed to be done has been done. Conflict hasn't been resolved. I'm willing to put this in God's hands. That is humility. It's humbling yourself in the sight of the Lord. And it's a needed quality. Maybe now more than ever. Number three this morning, as you look at James chapter four, verse 10, do you think about its implications for our lives? He will lift you up. The promise. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And there's a promise there. If I will put my affairs and my burdens and my challenges and my problems, if I'll put those things in his hands, if I'll wait for him to work these things out because I've done and said everything that needs to be done and said, if I'll do that, there's a promise. He'll lift me up. Notice that there are two promises actually when you look at James chapter four. 
The first promise is one of grace. James 4, verse 6. God gives grace to the humble. That word grace is just a broad word, and it has to do with favor or blessing. God blesses the humble. That's what it says. God gives favor to the humble. God in his providence has ways to bless and to beautify the lives of people who have attitudes like Jesus. And then it says in verse 10, he will lift you up. He will exalt you. How and when? That's up to God. How's God going to lift me up? That's up to him. When's he going to lift me up? That's up to him. But I want you to think about these cases. As you study the Bible and you look at great heroes of faith throughout Scripture, this principle is universal. Joseph, brothers sold him into slavery, then he went to prison, and after about 17 years of humility, of doing the right thing, of saying what needs to be said and doing what needs to be done and then waiting on God. After 17 years of that, God exalted Joseph. You remember? How about Moses? Man grew up in Egypt 40 years. He was a somebody. He was important, Moses was. In Pharaoh's house, great education, great opportunities. But then he murdered that Egyptian and he fled into the wilderness and he spent the next 40 years of his life being a nobody. He went from being somebody to being a nobody. And then God called Moses out of the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. And Moses spent the last 40 years of his life learning what God can do with a nobody. Humble yourself and he'll lift you up. The Bible says of Moses, he was the meekest man in all the earth. Numbers chapter 11, verses one through three. David, he was a shepherd. And when Goliath was challenging the armies of Israel, here's how David looked at his situation. David said, God has delivered me from the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion. And the same God who has delivered me from the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion will deliver me from this giant who opposes and defies the armies of Israel as well. 1 Samuel 17, verse 37. I find it fascinating that David did not say, I killed a bear. I killed a lion. I'm pretty good with a sling. It's not what he said. He said, God's the one who delivered me. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Example, Jesus. If you read Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, it begins by saying, Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know what he's talking about there in Philippians 2, verse 5? Specifically, the mind of Christ is a humble mind, a self forgetful mind. A mind that says, even though I have all these rights and privileges and blessings, I will willingly and gladly lay those aside so that I can humbly serve and bless others. And that's exactly what Philippians 2 verses 6 through 9 teaches, is that Jesus humbled himself. He left the glories of heaven. He came to this earth and he suffered and obediently served even to the point of death. Jesus is the greatest example of humility 
of anyone who has ever lived and he calls us to be like him. But then verses nine through 11 of Philippians two goes on to say that God has highly exalted him now. Jesus climbed that ladder as low as he could possibly climb, got as low as he could possibly get in serving mankind, even when it cost him his life and God as a result exalted him. That's what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. This Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. God has exalted him. Acts chapter two, verses 33 through 36. That was one of the major points in Peter's sermon. God has lifted him up. And God makes the same promise to you and me. If we'll humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, if we'll do what needs to be done, if we'll say what needs to be said, speaking the truth in love, and then if we will commit everything into the hands of God, God makes a promise. I give grace to the humble. I will lift you up. How's he gonna do it? That's up to God. When's he gonna do it? That's up to God. Took Joseph 17 years, took Moses 80 years. But God makes a promise and the people of God by faith believe that this promise is real and that it has something to do very pertinent and very relevant with how we deal with the conflict around us. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He'll exalt you. Maybe you, having heard the truth of God's word, you know that you need to obey the gospel. You know that you need to turn to Jesus, that you need to put him on in baptism. At the end of every lesson, we always stand and sing a song of invitation. And I want you to know that that invitation is something that it's not just a one time a week type of thing. That invitation is something that God continually extends to you whenever you decide that you want to obey the gospel. We're always willing to help you. But what God wants of all of us is that we'll forget about ourselves and that we'll resolve to live our lives with this prayer on our lips. Not my will, but yours be done. If we can help you obey the gospel this morning, if you need to respond and ask for prayers, won't you come? While together we stand and sing.